Let's have lecture 10 on Homer's Iliad 2019, book 5, part 1, slides 77 to 88. The fight resumes. So, let's meet Diomedes. Let's recall very quickly, even before we meet Diomedes, that there was a one-on-one -on -one combat in book 3 between Menelaus and Paris. Paris did very poorly during this one-on-one -on -one combat, as we would have expected, because his gift from the gods does not seem to be great speech craft, great strength, uh, great bravery, but rather great looks. And looks do not help one very much on the battlefield, especially when you are wearing a horse helm, uh, uh, helmet or ho horse hair helmet. In any case, Menelaus essentially wiped the floor with him, which literally is true because he did drag him across the ground by his chin strap from the top of his helmet at one point. In any case, Aphrodite saved him, and then we all wondered, what is the outcome of this battle? Even though Menelaus clearly won, he did not kill Paris, there is some inconclusiveness to uh, the end of that battle. So during that moment, Hera and Zeus made a negotiation. They made a deal together. They had a negotiation. And so Zeus said, why don't we just end the war? It looks like the war is over. Nobody wants to keep fighting this war. Hera says, I want to keep fighting this war because I want the Trojans to die for several reasons, including the fact that my daughter Hebe once was replaced by Ganymede. We'll see that reason given explicitly in the Aeneid. In any case... Hera and Zeus agree that Troy will fall. Hera gets three cities, or has to give up potentially three cities to Zeus. We recall that they are Argos, Mycenae, sometimes called Mycenae these days, as well as Sparta. The three leading cities of the Achaeans. The cities of Menelaus, Sparta. Argos is both Diomedes as well as uh, Agamemnon, and Mycenae is also Agamemnon. He owns the most. He is the richest. In any case, there was a Trojan archer who Athena then went to give a bad thought to. You can see that sometimes the gods send bad evil dreams that lie. Sometimes they give evil counsel that lies. You're starting to understand that these Greek Olympian gods are not always on your side. They're on their sides. Very much so. And we'll see that on full display during Book 5 when we see Athena essentially use Diomedes to do her will on the battlefield in the service of Hera's will. In any case, it was Pandaros, the archer, the Lycaon, the Lycaon, rather, the son of Lycaon, who then took his arrow and shot at Menelaus. Did not kill him, but did make him bleed. Stopped the truce. Now the battle begins to rage. And book five begins with battle, and it begins with Diomedes. You have this wonderful bust of Diomedes. Something to know about Diomedes. Diomedes is a young captain. Let me see if I have a profile for him. Good. I do have a profile for him. Let me go to this profile very quickly of Diomedes and then return you to this first slide. He is, of course, an Achaean, not a Trojan. Now, he is the son of an extremely, and make sure you're writing this, he is the son of an extremely famous mythological character named Tidius. Tidius is one of the seven kings who first sacked the other major mythological story uh, or city of ancient Greece, which was called Thebes. And in fact, we will go to Thebes this year when we go to read... Oedipus the king. Um, Tidius What is it I want to say about Tidius? Ah yes, Tidius was known, and Athena will actually say this, as a short man, and not a particularly strong one. And yet Diomedes, who is a much taller man and much stronger than he is, um, uh, will be compared at times negatively to his father. The reason being that his father died honorably at in fact, all the seven of the seven against Thebes 
died. And in fact, the lieutenant of Diomedes, Sthenelus, his father Capaneus, was another one of those two men. So Diomedes comes from a lineage of extremely powerful, glorified individuals. And so, he has a lot to live up to. That said, he is also extremely rich. He brought 80 ships to Troy. Uh, only people to match him were Idomeneus, Nestor, who brings 90, and of course Agamemnon, who brings 100. And so, he brings a lot of promise alongside of him. Oh yes, oh yes, oh yes. And then the one last gnarly interesting thing, uh, very Greek mytho mythological thing to say about Tidius is that when he, <laughs> when he was struck down and was about to die, the person that had struck him down, he was so enraged at him for exposing his mortality that he went to try and cannibalize his skull. He tried to bite his head and eat him, which you will actually see a, um, a punishment modeled off that in the lowest circle of the Inferno next year when we see Count Ugolino uh, and Archbishop Ruggieri. But in any case, uh, the mythological story that goes along with that is that Athena was coming down, she loved Tidia so much, to give him immortality. But when she saw him vulgarly attempting to eat the skull of the man who had struck him down, she, she turned from him. So even in the last moments of life, one can lose one's uh, claim to glory, to eternal glory. And that did happen to Diomedes' his father. Hopefully it doesn't happen to him. Let's talk about the battle a little bit. So, Diomedes shines like a star. That's still how we speak about people who are standouts. People who are shining, resplendent, brilliant, to quote Aladdin. And so, Diomedes shows his immediate prowess by killing various men. Phegeus, you don't need to know about him. Uh, we see this man named Idaeus who is saved by Hephaestus. That's the only time you'll really see Hephaestus do any work on this battlefield until the Theomachy much later on in the Iliad. And, well, while this battle is going on between the mortals, we see also that there is work happening between the immortals. Back to the lecture. Diomedes kills Phegeus and Adios, but then we have a transition to Olympus. You'll see these sorts of transitions throughout the course of the Iliad. Get used to them. Also, appreciate them, because we will not have as many when we get to the Odyssey. It's almost as if, during some big event, during the course of history, the gods are more present than during more boring events, like, for instance, a lecture. In any case, Athena, who is on the Achaean side, cleverly convinces Ares to sit out the battle. Recall, Athena... Hera and Poseidon are on the Achaean side of the battle. Aphrodite, Ares, and Apollo are on the Trojan side of the battle. If Athena wants effectively to have the Trojans killed by the Achaeans, she needs to make sure that there are no Trojan gods on the battlefield, making sure that the Trojan champions cannot be killed. Now, obviously, we have already seen, uh, we have already seen Aphrodite cause some trouble for the Achaeans. How? Well, there was a Trojan champion named Paris who was about to be killed by Menelaus, and then he was saved by Aphrodite. Had he not been saved by Aphrodite, what would have happened? Yes? The war would have been over. Have been over. And so, the Achaean gods realized that if they are going to end this war, the Trojan gods need to be neutralized. There are three Trojan gods. We're going to start with the weakest one. Who do you imagine is the weakest of the Trojan gods? Aphrodite, goddess of love, Ares, god of war, or Apollo, 
God of athletics and uh, pretty much everything else. Sunlight, prophecy, music, poetry, the hunt. Uh, and plague, yes, of course, plague. Which god or goddess do you imagine is the weakest of those three? Imagine that they are different in strength, yes. Aphrodite. Aphrodite, yes, it does happen to be Aphrodite. In fact, Athena will later in this very book make fun of Aphrodite and say that, you know, maybe she got pricked by a golden pin while she was messing around with the dress of a woman who she was trying to send off to a man who was not her husband, uh, which is a clever reference, of course, to her uh, uh, finagling about with the love life of, well, who's that one woman who keeps getting messed around with by Aphrodite no matter where it is she goes and who it is she's with, yes? Helen. Helen. Poor Helen. Apparently being loved by Aphrodite isn't necessarily a good thing. Apparently being loved by any of these gods isn't necessarily a good thing. In any case, Athena convinces Ares to go off the battlefield. Apollo always remains on the walls of Troy to defend them from being sacked. So the only god of the Trojans on the battlefield or near the battlefield right now is Aphrodite. So who are we going to try and get rid of if we are Athena? That's right, Aphrodite. Very good. Very good, very good, very good. All right, we see some other Achaeans kill some other people. You don't really need to know that. Agamemnon kills Odeus. Idomeneus kills Phaestus. The whole reason I'm just listing that is these are talented warriors. To kill another person is not in any way an easy thing to do. Even to fight and defeat another person, especially another trained warrior, not an easy thing to do. These people have great battle prowess. That's the only thing I'm really worried about telling you here. Ah, yes. Something that you'll notice and will have noticed. It is the case that during these giant melees, people will, Achaeans and Trojans, will kill somebody, and then they will strip their armor. And you might say, how do they have the time to do that? And the answer is, they don't really have the time to do that. Because while they're trying to strip armor, spears can be thrown at them and they can be stabbed. So they are taking a risk whenever they do that. It's sort of like in dodgeball. You know how you run up to get the ball, and then what happens to you so often? Somebody else throws a ball right at you. You run up at it, and then bam, they peg you, and they laugh at you, and you're like, no, what, uh, and then you have to go off the field. So, yeah, if you killed one of these people, you would want some sort of reward for your kill to show that you had killed them, and you would want to be enriched by it. So it'd be sort of like stealing their wallet after killing them, which is actually something that police look for in order to find the motive if somebody happens to be dead somewhere, um, because it, it makes a difference. If you didn't steal a wallet, then it you probably knew the person because you weren't trying to kill them in order to take their money. In any case, similar situation here. Somebody has some nice armor, you kill them, you try and take that armor back to your ship. There will be a point when the Achaeans are doing so poorly in the war that Nestor says, stop taking armor off of people because we have to fight. If we don't win this battle, we will all die, and then will it matter whether you have any nice armor back at your ship? No, absolutely not. Good. All right. In any case, we need to understand these two concepts. This will help us to understand these ancient peoples, these peoples that existed before even the Athenians and the Spartans as we know them from the 5th and 4th centuries BC. These two concepts are called time, it looks like time, but it is time, and kleos. Let's take a look at them. They're very similar, but different enough to be distinct, like bronze and gold. The Homeric warrior, who's everybody we know in the Iliad, they're all warriors, even Nestor, who's too old really to fight, 
fights for honor. Honor is a translation from teammate for us. In fact, there is a sort of rule uh, like democracy. Democracy means rule of the people or strength of the people. Timocracy is rule by the honored. And then there is glory or fame, kleos. Now, literally kleos is what people say about you. And I want you to think about how fame, like rumor, is essentially what people say about you. Are you hot? Are, is there buzz about you? Are people talking about you? Well, that's what every single Achaean wants, except for do they want people to be buzzing about negative things they've done? Or do they want people to be buzzing about like, whoa, dang, did you see that guy? Did you see Diomedes cut that Trojan's head off yesterday? That was amazing. Or did you see Odysseus the other day? There was that one little lumpy backed guy who was talking the endless speech like he always does, and he smacked him on the back with a staff. You want people saying good things about you. It's the same thing now. I would say that our modern social media is complete evidence of the fact that we totally still care about this. Because you post some picture on Instagram or Facebook, what do you wait for immediately and then feel good of when you see it? Likes. That's right. You want those likes. Those likes are basically people saying they saw something you did and they approve of it, right? Well, that's what these people like too. And in fact, you want to think about this. We use the word legend. Legend comes from the Latin word for to say something about somebody. So therefore, your legend is what? What people say about you. And you want to think about this. After you die, can you continue to do things? No. And so what remains of you after you have died for these Achaeans? Yes? Your name. The things people say about you. Your story. Your so-called legend. And so these people are all attempting to do deeds so glorious that they become legends forever because for them, there is not much of an afterlife. They don't really have a heaven in Homer. They don't really also have the idea of a hell. They have just sort of a plain, uh, mute, dumb existence. They're essentially nothing after they die. So if they wish to live on beyond their life, they must achieve ultimate glory. They must achieve high levels of teammate and high levels of clairs. And the people we're going to focus on are not the people that failed to do that, but the people that succeeded in doing that. And in fact, most of your history education will focus on people who achieved, achieved extraordinary fame. And we will largely pass over those who do not. And so that does tend to be how we remember things. We remember the things which stand out in this world. In any case, that is the basic assumption made by Homer. That is the basic assumption made by all the warriors here. So, I'm just going to read this very quickly to make sure we know the difference, especially if I'm giving a pop quiz tomorrow. Time is often translated as honor. This is what was harmed by Agamemnon taking Briseis away from Achilleus. He literally took away Achilleus's physical expression of honor. He dis- Honored him. He punked him. I don't know. What is what is a term that I, I'm now, now far enough away from you to not know the term. Do you all have some sort of term for when somebody disrespects you now that's not just he disrespected? And when I was young, I, I think punked. Do you have an idea? Throwing shade's not bad. That's not bad. It's like throwing shade's like when you insult somebody or like when you subtly insult somebody. I guess you have shots fired for that sort of thing. Uh, now, nowadays, too, which is interesting because that's a throwback to Apollo. Um, it is like you're throwing an insult at somebody. In any case, uh, yeah, well, you know, 
in any case. However, it is its most basic meaning, this is teammates, is the tangible, physical expression of honor in the form of booty, gifts, or a particular prize, which is called a garros. And so honor for the Achaeans is very much a physical thing. It's how much stuff you have, how much wealth, how many uh, cows, how much cattle, how many pieces of armor, how nice is the armor, how many talents of gold do you have. In fact, you might say, Mr. Schmidt, isn't it still the case that honor is generally uh, materially based? How big your house is, what sort of car you have, how much money is in your bank account? I would say that's an interesting question. That's a very interesting question, whether our ideas of honor are very much based on their ideas of honor. Uh, but there are a lot of years between them and us, and there's, there have been a lot of changes. We'll have to go through the Middle Ages, the Renaissance, and the Romantic Era to really answer that question. But keep that question in mind, because it's a smart question. In any case, if I ask you tomorrow, specifically, what was the Geros of Achilles, which was taken away from him by Agamemnon, which reduced his teammate, you will know that that was Briseis, because a Geros is a particular prize, that represents honor. Briseis was the particular prize of Achilles. She was taken away from Achilles. Therefore, in having his garros taken away, what was reduced for him? In an unthinkable way, yes? His honor. His teammate. His honor. Exactly right. Now, just very quickly, Cleos can be described as glory or fame, but its most basic sense means what other people say about you. What's the word we have these days? for what other people say about you. We say it's very important. And it is supposed to represent your character to others. Yes? Reputation. Your reputation. That's quite right. So one's kleos is one's good or one's bad reputation. I would say for the Achaeans, it's less about having a bad reputation, more have about not having one at all. It's either you have one or you lack one. And so you've got to do some incredible things if you don't have one. Let's keep moving. All right. Um... Write B and C, please, just because since these are new concepts, I want to make sure that we ingrain them deeply. Teammate and Kleos are closely related. And one's Kleos depends, to a large extent, on the teammate offered by one's peers. Think about it. The more honor you are given by other people in the form of physical objects like Geros, like Briseis, the more good things likely people are going to say about you. And there is probably sort of a reciprocal relationship. The more things you have, the more good things people say about you, the more good things you might acquire in the future, the more good things people will say about you. It is a, a, a cyclical relationship in a way. But Kleos also serves, and this is very important because this is a big difference between these people and contemporary Western people, but Kleos also serves as the only true form of immortality available to Homeric heroes. They live on and what people say about them after they are dead. Maybe that's very different from us now, but that said, even, even these days, within, say, a Catholic or a Protestant Christian tradition, after one dies, generally at a funeral, somebody gives a speech, a speech where they focus on the good deeds of that person, and that is generally called a eulogy which literally means good words or good speech about somebody. And so the notion that we say good things about the dead to preserve their memory uh, has been maintained. In fact, tomorrow you will, uh, you will have uh, 
Tomorrow will be a very strong reminder of that as we get to 9-11, which is now called Patriot's Day, which I believe at this point none of you were alive for, uh, which is uh, very interesting because I was a little bit older than you when uh, the attacks during 9-11 happened. I was, I was in high school myself. I was a sophomore. I was in chemistry. We had the TV on. I saw it happen. In any case, let's keep moving. Back to the battle itself. We've talked about Cleos. We've talked about Team A. We talked about a little bit of review. Now we have to get moving forward. Now, something I have not yet told you is this. There is a trope, a theme, a mechanical device within this story that will always work. Whenever a minor character, who you do not know much about, injures a major character, that minor character will be killed, generally by a major character. So recently we met a new character. His name is Pandaros. He's not a very big deal. We also met Diomedes. He's a very big deal, one of the top five Achaeans. Diomedes now, like Menelaus, is going to be injured by Pandaros. Pandaros has injured Menelaus, who is major, as well as now Pan or Diomedes. My goodness, he's really itching for uh, a killing. And so, let's get into this. Diomedes is shot in the shoulder by an arrow of Pandaros, which is extremely painful. In fact, uh, what, what happens is that Sthenelus, the lieutenant of Diomedes, then has to remove the arrow from the shoulder. And generally, how that is done, because there are barbs on the end of an arrow, and the back of an arrow is serrated, is if you pull it out, it will rip additional flesh, which will cause additional blood to flow, which may lead to a greater chances of infection, plague, death, and of also losing your blood, becoming weak, and then dying. So often what you have to do with an arrow which is shot into you, especially if it's shot into your leg, is push it out the other side. And so this is a brutal moment for Diomedes. And yet, he is still very much okay. But you just want to imagine yourself walking around with a bleeding hole in your shoulder. And while people are throwing rocks, spears, and arrows around you, you're going to feel pretty whatable. Vulnerable, indeed. Indeed you're going to feel vulnerable. And in fact, in this moment, he prays to strength for Athena, from Athena. And ah! Now, this works. This works for Athena. You want to take... A look at this. It might seem as if Athena comes down to help Diomedes because she loves Diomedes. Maybe she loves Diomedes because she loved his father, father Tidius. Or it might be the case that Diomedes, as a talented warrior, could do something useful for her. What is it that we know Athena wants to do down on the battlefield at this moment? Yes? Um, get, Aphrodite get Aphrodite off the battlefield. Well... Diomedes isn't that great a candidate right now. He's mortal, so what can't he see? The gods, very good. And he's also injured. So if I were a goddess named Athena, and I wanted to use Diomedes to get rid of Aphrodite, what two things would I have to do for him right now? Yes? Uh, help him. Help him? Okay, how would I help him? Heal him, potentially. She does sort of heal him. She makes him not feel his wound. So it's like she gives him a cortisone injection, which is sometimes what we do to football players after they get terrible injuries so they can keep playing because they don't feel the pain. And that can lead to more 
suffering later, but, you know, it's very brave to do that sort of thing, we think. And uh, so that's the first thing. She gives him a cortisone shot, so he can't feel his pain. What's the next thing? Yes? She grants him sight. Grants him the sight to see the gods. Which god in particular is he to look for and to go attack? Yes? Aphrodite. Aphrodite. But she's not just hanging around. She's sort of like an electron. Appears on and off the battlefield randomly. Ah, but there's a detail I haven't yet told you. Aphrodite has a son on the Trojan side. He is one of the top three Trojans. There is Hector, there is Sarpedon, who is the son of Zeus, and there is Aeneas, who we will read an entire epic about, called the Aeneid. Aeneas is the son of Aphrodite. Who do you think Diomedes should attack and injure in order to get Aphrodite to appear and try and save that person so that we can then attack her and get her off the battlefield? Yes, this is good thinking. Who? Who do we need to attack? Potentially kill. Who is the son of Aphrodite? Who will summon her down? Aeneas, indeed! Yes! Yes! Very good! I like this image. This is a good image. Focus on this just for a moment. You see the melee. You see the chariots. You see the horses crushed under this and the men as well. That can definitely happen. If you have two horses and they get spooked, and they turn a chariot over, and you're in the chariot, what might happen to you? You might fall on your spear. You might fall on someone else's spear. You might get crushed by the chariot. You might get crushed by a horse. It's a dangerous situation. Also, you see the gods up here. They're sort of messing about. Um, there are interesting things to say about that, but we'll focus more on that later. But I just want you to see the sprawl. Is this a chaotic situation? Yes, it is very much chaos there. Here's another good image. Um, we'll see this sort of thing happen at times that somebody throws a spear or uses a spear. We'll actually see a spear used from a chariot by Diomedes when he goes after Ares late in the book, book five, when I talk about that, uh, probably Thursday. All right, let me say just a few things about this warfare for you. And I know that I'm, I'm laying a lot of uh, initial material down today rather than simply moving towards forward in the narrative. Remember that chariots are usually used by elites or captains. Because in order to have a chariot, well, in order to use a chariot, you have to own a chariot. In order for a chariot to be useful to you, you have to have some what? Some horses, which means you have to keep horses, which means you have to essentially be rich. And uh, actually, we'll find out that Aeneas and many of the Trojans actually have some mighty fine horses. King Rasos, who will not last very long during the course of the Iliad, is also known to have some horses. In any case, the chariots, and I think I've said this before, are usually used like cars for transportation, though occasionally they will be used to launch weapons from arrows and spears in particular. Usually you won't see uh, swords being thrown. Um, but most of the battle you'll see done on foot. In fact, even today, you will see, um, you'll see a Trojan, or in, in, at this point it might actually be Thursday, you will see a Trojan Aeneas jumped down from his chariot in order to do combat with Diomedes. Diomedes will then um, pick up a large rock. And does anybody recall what Diomedes does to Aeneas with his large rock? Yes. He throws it. Okay. Throws the rock at him. And then what happens? Hits him in the hip. And then what happens to his hip? What happens to Aeneas' hip? Shatters. Shatters it. 
It actually says it hurts so bad that he goes down to his knee and he starts to black out in pain. Oh, yeah, we're going to see some gnarly, gnarly images. In any case, this will be our last slide of the day. We'll just set up that big fight. The bit, this is the preview. The marquee event will be coming on Thursday. Diomedes and Stenelus. Remember that Stenelus is the son of Capaneus, who was also one of the seven at Thebes, uh, will fight against Aeneas and Pandaros. This, uh, if you're really thinking about the narrative here, you already know that this is going to go pretty bad for Pandaros. Why do you know that this fight is going to go bad for Pandaros based on one of the tropes or themes that I shared with you earlier, yes? The and Menelaus and Diomedes are major characters. And what is the new theme or trope that we know as of today? Whenever a blank does what to a blank, blank happens to blank. Who can fill all those blanks in for me? Yes? Whenever a minor character injures a major character's minor character, then gets killed by the major character. Ah, very close, very close. And that does sound perfect, but there's a small tweak on it. Whenever a minor character injures a major character, Another major character will kill that minor character, not necessarily the one that was injured. Um, very good. Very good, very good, very good. All right. In any case, all I want to say here is that Diomedes is about to go engage with Aeneas. He wants that glory. He wants to prove himself. He wants no longer to be in the shadow of his short father. Stenelus, his lieutenant, says, Nah, man. Aeneas and Pandaros, those are some bad dudes. We do not want to go fight against them. They are very strong. If they're very strong, they might what us? Kill us. Well, we don't want that. You can't really develop much glory after you're dead. And so, Senna says, maybe we sit this one out. Domini says, argue me not that. We are definitely going to fight against these people. I am definitely going to try and kill them. Especially because Pandaros already injured me in the shoulder. And I want to give back at him. And, well... That's where we will start next time. Mm.